The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member at tntradio.live. Patrick Henningsen and TNT. All right, welcome back. Welcome back. Sorry before the break, guys. Uh, we we I sounded like we were exiting uh, the second hour, but actually finished with the first hour. Got a little bit uh, confused there. Wasn't when you're wishing people a happy new year. I went from wishing our guest Muhammad Akunji happy new year to wishing you guys happy new year and wrapping up the show. But uh, consider it a bonus hour. Consider it a bonus hour going out 2023 with a bang. And uh, there's also a bang going into 2024 with a bang in Ukraine. Russia confirms massive barrage on targets in Ukraine. And just when we thought that uh, they've hit the pause button in hitting military targets in western Ukraine, we're talking about what's left of Ukraine, Kiev, Lviv, the western part of the country there, but also the south coast with Odessa, Nikolaev, um, Russia's basically stepped up their targeting. And that's all down to the special military operation objectives, which they announced, uh, which is the demilitarization of Ukraine. In other words, they want to demilitarize this country so that if they join NATO or they think they want to join NATO, there's going to be nothing left to join. Uh, there's going to be no arms uh, that they're going to have to defend themselves. They're going to have to negotiate with their neighbor. This is what uh, the policy has been from the beginning. So overnight, uh, Russia launched a major operation with 50 group strikes conducted throughout the week um, and intense uh, overnight as well in the last 24 hours. But especially the Russian Ministry of Defense has confirmed that its forces launched a series of air attacks against multiple targets in Ukraine last week. And uh, they've hit defense industry sites, military airfields, infrastructure depots storage of artillery munitions they've also hit uh facilities that they believe were used for the assembly of naval drones uh but also arms and fuel for military vehicles um, etc as well as troop positions so a major offensive by russia and valery zaluzhny who is the head of the ukrainian armed forces uh said that at least 158 separate launches were detected by kiev's armed forces on thursday evening and friday morning so this is really within the last uh 48 hours and uh so they claim to have ex intercepted 87 cruise missiles uh 27 drones uh, and that's about it so far. So that's very possible. Uh, a certain amount of cruise missiles will be downed by anti-aircraft uh, batteries uh, by the Ukrainian armed forces, So, as well as downed drones. But it's pretty clear that targets have been hit, many targets, in fact. So this is, you have to remember, this is something Russia could do on a daily basis, but have have reserved their right to do so. Um, they've done it strategically and normally in retaliation to anything that Ukraine has done in terms of, well, for instance, what happened earlier in the week, um, they hit and sunk or damaged, permanently damaged a major Russian military uh, battleship, a frigate in the Black Sea Fleet station in Crimea. So Russia took that as a major act of escalation on their side. So they're going to hit back three times as hard at military targets in Ukraine. So they could be they could continue to do this. They have all the locations. They know where everything is stored. Um, it's just 
you know, a question of uh, do they want to continue doing this on a regular basis? What's that going to mean in terms of the international court of public opinion? Will they? It gives the Western media a chance to frame some of these attacks as attacks on civilians if they want to gin up the media machine on this. They can certainly do that in the West. So I think Russia is being very strategic and sparing in how they take out these sort of major strikes against military targets in Western Ukraine. So, but it is, it's just an example of the disparity in terms of the capabilities of these two sides. This idea that they've been pumping up uh, in the West, in US, Canada, Europe, that Ukraine is this super uh, well-equipped, uh, high-skilled, mili modern military machine uh, equipped to NATO standards, and Russia's no match for Ukraine. Um, everybody knows that that's just complete hogwash at this point. Um, most of that's propaganda. There was a time when I think they did have a formi formidable uh, armed forces uh, that would probably would have been in the first eight months of the conflict uh, from late February 2022 to, I would say, probably December 2022. I think at that point, um, it became pretty clear to everybody watching this conflict and the fighting closely uh, that Ukraine had been, well, they've expended uh, enough of their manpower, enough of their officer ranks, enough equipment. Russia has dealt significant blows on all of these different fronts. Plus, they've lost the strategic high ground in a number of areas, so they're basically retreating uh, gradually further and further. The West keeps saying that they've recaptured 50% of the territory initially taken by Russia. When you hear that, that is a beautiful propaganda line. What they're saying, and they keep repeating that trope, and it's interesting, where that trope comes from is they, they're saying that uh, in the early days of this conflict, you remember when Russia had encircled Kiev, they did this very quick deployment and encircled or half encircled the capital of Ukraine in Kiev. And so the Western thinking on this in terms of propaganda was that was all Russian territory taken and the the, the brave forces in Kiev and led by Zaluzhny and Klitschko or whatever pushed back uh, the Russian armed forces and put them into retreat from Kharkiv, from 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 Kiev, and so they keep saying that uh, that means Russia's lost fifty percent of the territory it had initially gained. Ergo, we're winning against Russia. What they're not telling you is that was never territory really held uh, by Russia. They did withdraw because they actually had a provisional peace agreement with Kiev, which Kiev did not honor at the behest of the U.S. and the U.K. They backed out of it. This is now, we have the receipts for this. It's pretty much common knowledge by now to people who are actually honest or analyzing this, uh, this, this conflict, this situation. So th the reality is Ukraine as a country is smaller today than it is, than it was in late February 2022. Ergo, Ukraine has lost territory. If you want to talk about 2014, Crimea, the Donbass, Ukraine has lost arguably a third of its territory. Okay, so that is not a win. That is not a win, despite how they want to spin it. We've just, we the Ukrainians have through their brave fighting have recaptured fifty percent of the territory it had lost to Russia. No, that's a propaganda line. The reality is Ukraine has lost lost thirty percent of its territory. It's lost 
up to 50% of its working GDP. It's lost up to, I don't know at this point, 40% of its population, pre-war, 40%, 30%, 40%. Nobody knows for sure. But on paper, it was regarded as a 40 million population in Ukraine. And on paper now, I've seen estimates as low as 19 million, one nine. So by losing the Donbass, losing Crimea, by losing these other areas, Zaporizhia, uh, Kherson, uh, what are we looking at in terms of population? You know, 19, 18, 17 million. I don't know. Nobody knows for sure. But a lot of people who have fled to Europe, refugees, who've been given the golden ticket into the Schengen zone, the utopia that is the EU, and they're decamped in places like Germany, places like Belgium, the Netherlands, Denmark, Scandinavia, and so forth. Germany, of course, bearing the biggest brunt, the UK. They're not coming back. They're not going back. They have now tasted uh, the good life in Europe, uh, and the social services uh, are giving them a probably a comfortable stipend. They have enough benefits and opportunities and employment opportunities and education and all of this. There's no reason for them to go back to this basket case of a rump state that would have never been that if not for the fact they were duped into this proxy war by the United States, by Britain, by the NATO countries. They sold them an absolute pipe dream. It's the same pipe dream they sold the people of Ukraine encouraging them to come out and overthrow the government during the Maidan protests in February, or it's, well, December 2013, right through to February 2014. That was the that was the dream. Euro Maidan. You remember the name? Euro Maidan. It was called that for a reason. They were selling the dream of Europe to the youth of Ukraine. He said it was all on the offering for you. It's like a big buffet. You're going to join Europe and you're going to be just like the Europeans. Same standard of living, open borders, you know, everything. You name it, it's yours. It didn't happen. It didn't happen after 2014. Instead, leadership in that country decided to engage in a bloody civil war. They were egged on by the West to do so. Not only that, and they slow walked any peace agreements that were on the table, like the Minsk Accords. Why? To buy time for NATO to arm Ukraine, to prepare for the war we're having now. That's the truth. That's the truth. You won't hear that, though, on the BBC. You won't hear that on CNN. You won't read that in the Washington Post or the New York Times. Not altogether. Not the whole analysis altogether. You won't. Because that's just kryptonite for a Western electorate. If they knew the truth, they would have never backed this to begin with. Let's take a break here with TNT. Today's News Talk. I'm Patrick Henningsen. We'll be right back. TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. The double standard is out there. It's so obvious. It's so frustrating. Eric Holder gets held in contempt of Congress for defying a congressional subpoena. Nothing happens. Obama's DOJ didn't pursue it. Steve Bannon and Peter Navarro defy a congressional subpoena. Joe Biden's DOJ criminally prosecutes them. Criminally. 
prosecutes them for defying a congressional subpoena. And now we've got congressional subpoenas of Hunter Biden and James Biden, the resident's brother. And guess what? Nothing's going to be done by Merrick Garland, Barack Obama, Joe Biden's DOJ. That's right. I said Barack Obama. Obama's the shadow president. He's not the one pulling the strings. He wasn't pulling the strings in his own administration. You know, Valerie Jarrett was his minder. Where is the Iranian-born Valerie Jarrett these days? Haven't seen or heard much of her. It's because the Democrats are smart. Timothy Shea on today's News Talk TNT Radio. Take us back in time. And who was Mike Flynn? He was the national security advisor to the president. Why is it that they go after me so hard? Why me? Why does Barack Obama only talk about two people to the incoming president of the United States? When I was sentenced, the judge says, you have been convicted of lying to cover up for Donald Trump. To which I say, cover up what? Russian collusion? There was no Russian collusion to cover up. We see in today's current uh, scenario with President Joe Biden, who came in with high expectations, that he has been viewed as divisive. And we're committed to advancing transgender equality in the classroom. The liberal media say, well, this is his love for his son, and yes, he's going to protect his son. But let me tell you, a lot of fathers love their sons, but their sons had to go to jail when they broke the law. At this moment, people see a lot of those telltale signs of a far-left drift to the country. Whether you're talking about socialism, or you're talking about communism. Socialism is just a kinder cousin of communism. But the goal is the same, for the state to have control of every aspect of your life. We have multiple hearings on different agencies that have actually just gone rogue. They took fewer men in the takedown of El Chapo than they did to arrest me. And Comey went back to his organization and brought his other thugs together to basically give them the ground rules. Okay, here's how we're gonna, here's what we're gonna do. And give, now I need some ideas about how to execute this, basically this act of treason. I think we all know, James Comey, that you're a great storyteller because you made up the entire story about Crossfire Hurricane. So it's really fitting that a criminal like yourself wrote a crime novel. Do you remember me? Remember me from your book signing? It doesn't matter whether they're Republican or Democrat, people will sell their soul to obtain an ounce of political power in Washington, D.C. I don't even know that draining the swamp is the appropriate metaphor anymore after what we've seen these last four years. We need basically an exorcism in Washington, D.C. When, you know, Satan is tempting Jesus in the desert, I'll, I'll give you all the riches of the world. I'll give you everything. All you have to do is bow to me. That's what Barack Obama has done. That's what Jim Comey has done. That's what these bastards have done. The Fall of Deceit at SalemNow.com Caution. You are about to to hear today's news talk and the voice of freedom. That's what this country is all about. TNT Radio. Welcome back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to TNT Today's News Talk. Patrick Hennings, your host here. We're in the second hour of this live broadcast. Those of you who missed the the New Year's Eve false alarm and the la- at the end of the last hour, and you're still hanging with us for this, uh, let's call it a bonus hour. It's not really a bonus hour, but uh, you know what I'm talking about. So basically, uh, update uh, U.S. We'll actually get some inside baseball uh, from Matthew Russell Lee from Inner City Press, our legal correspondent on this very complicated subject. Anyway, we'll get Matthew on the line uh, probably in a couple of minutes to give us some interesting details on this anyway. But the Repo- the Colorado Republican Party, as far as Trump being scratched off ballots in these different states, uh, this was appealed 
major appeals immediately with Colorado. They're trying to kick uh, Trump off the ballot. Uh, the deadline's, I think, January 5th. They're printing the ballots there. This is for the Republican primaries. And Republican Party of Colorado appealed the state's Supreme Court decision, found that the former president, uh, they believed the Supreme Court in Colorado, state court, state court said that Trump was ineligible for the presidency because he somehow was engaged in insurrection on January 6th, uh, 2021. And so the first impact of the appeal, uh, was to extend the stay of a four to three ruling from the Colorado's high court, which puts his decision on pause until January 4th. And the day before the state's primary ballots are due at the printer or until an appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court is finished, Trump himself said that he still plans to appeal the ruling to the nation's highest court as well. So uh, so the, the campaign themselves are engaged in legal action. That arguably, that's going to be a bit slower, okay? But Colorado Secretary of State Jenna Griswold said Thursday – this just yesterday that the appeal filed uh, Trump will be included as a candidate on the state's primary ballots. Okay. So that's going to basically hold till the 5th of Jen. It looks like anyway, uh, if it doesn't, all hell's going to break loose on this. So it doesn't end there. Uh, also in on the act, uh, was Michigan I have tried some funny business you're probably not surprised there with uh, people like Gretchen Whitmer at the helm. Uh, nonetheless, a key swing state during a general election. Certainly, you'd want Trump to be on the ballot there for the primaries. Well, in all 50 states, of course, you want him everywhere. But the state's Supreme Court in Michigan basically threw this one out the window. They said, no, 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 no. You can't. Bureaucrats and operatives in a state cannot determine who gets on the national election ballot there. Not going to happen. Forget your 14th Amendment. Nice try. Sorry. Next. So that's Michigan, basically. And now Maine. Okay. Maine. The Democrat Secretary of State of Maine kicks Trump off the ballot. This is just in the last 24 hours here. And uh, unbelievable uh, who who has done this here? Let's just take a look at the what the the newswires are saying on this, and yep, sure enough, folks, yeah, the usual suspects are uh, at play here, and the Secretary of State of Maine uh, takes to the airwaves about her quote brave decision to unilaterally remove uh, the Republicans' front runner candidate from the ballot, so effectively freezing the uh, rights of the citizens in those countries to decide who they get to vote for. No, uh, a bureaucrat has stepped in and saying, no, I'm going to decide. Shenna Bellows here, the fundamental right of every American citizen to vote freely, fairly, to have their vote counted is the premise of our democracy. The Constitution and the Bill of Rights are not values to be compromised. Freedom to Vote Act here, the fundamental right. So, that's what's happening in Maine. And uh, Bellows appeared on CNN. Anderson Cooper 360 stating that uh, not only was she mindful of her decision in its unprecedented nature, but no presidential candidate had ever engaged in insurrection before. So holding to that insurrection trope, 
that party line. So again, I am mindful, and I said in my decision, that it is unprecedented. No Secretary of State has ever deprived the presidential candidate of ballot access based on Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. But no president has ever engaged in insurrection. So he hasn't been charged with insurrection. It's never been proven that he's done any insurrection. She's taken it upon herself to decide to be judge, jury, and executioner of Donald Trump, a bureaucrat the Secretary of State in charge of the elections of Maine. So this is just a disaster on so many different fronts. And it doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. California. California is in on the act. Now now we're getting into some dicey territory. Why? Look at the amount of electoral votes up for grabs in a state like California in a Republican primary. I'm not talking about the national election. Not talking about the general and talking about the primaries here. Democrat controlled California keeps Trump on the ballot. The state of California kept Trump on the 2024 ballot on Thursday. There were moves afoot to remove the 45th president of the United States running for reelection here in this next cycle. And this decision here, this decision here uh, by, by California officials here defies California Lieutenant Governor uh, Eleni Kunalakis, who she requests to explore every legal option to remove Trump from the California ballot following this Colorado ruling. So here you have the domino effect. And this is the problem is monkey see, monkey do. They saw what happened in Colorado. Some people got jazzed about it. I personally think this is all uh, coordinated behind the scenes uh, right across the board, maybe in, in quite a few states where they feel they can get away with this. California Democrat Secretary of State Dr. Shirley Ann Weber published a list of eligible candidates Thursday. The decision came after Maine's Democrat Secretary of State, Shanna Bellows, who we just quoted before, decided Trump was ineligible to be on the ballot. So Dr. Weber previously opposed Colorado's ruling on December 22nd, saying it is more critical than ever to safeguard elections in a way that transcend political divisions. Removing a candidate from the ballot under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment is not something my office takes lightly and is not simple as a requirement that a person be at least 35 years old, etc., to run for president. Okay, so now you can see this is where the legal battleground has been shaping up. Of course, Governor Gavin Newsom, he's weighing in here, also opposed any action by Democrats to prevent voters from deciding elections. There's no doubt that Donald Trump is a threat to our liberties and even our democracy, says Newsom. But California, we defeat candidates at the polls. How brave and honorable of the governor, Gavin Newsom. Everything else is political distractions. So even Newsom is saying, keep Trump on the ballot. There you are. So you can see the party apparatchiks in these different uh, states here trying to basically scratch the Republican frontrunner from the ballot. And what is this doing in terms of polling for Trump, in terms of his approval ratings? Well, take a wild guess what all these various attempts at lawfare and election interference are doing to his poll numbers. They are going up, okay? Now, what's interesting about that, they're going up, but within the challenger ranks on the GOP, 
there are moves afoot within the runners-up. And right now, the insurgent candidate within the second tier is Nikki Haley, who looks like she has surpassed Ron DeSantis. Now, I think DeSantis is pretty much dead in the water. We'll see what happens uh, from the initial primaries in New Hampshire and Iowa. Maybe DeSantis will show well there and can rebound. Certainly, he's not looking good going into the election right now. A lot of people think that he's not going to last past Super Tuesday, like his thing is dead in the water. DeSantis, do you, you realize the amount of money this guy has spent or how much money has been spent on him, to be clear? Uh, hundreds of millions of dollars. The amount of money they burned on Ron DeSantis is approaching Mike Bloomberg levels. Now, you remember Mike Bloomberg basically blew, I don't know what he threw, might have been something like, 200 300 million i can't remember uh it was a lot of money and he was in there just as basically a t they tried to make him as a foil on the democratic ticket i think it was in 2020 but all he was there to do was basically to find a way to engineer some kind of momentum to head off bernie sanders and push support towards joe biden that was the bloomberg piece uh in the 2020 election so that's a lot of money. Arguably, DeSantis probably going to spend more than that if he hasn't already. I've heard, I've heard figures of they're expecting that campaign slush fund to be like half a billion, or five hundred million, and they've already gone through like most of it by now. Okay, so are they going to keep throwing money at this? They're going to keep throwing money, bad money after bad, with DeSantis. So. Haley, the warmongering candidate, certainly she's representing the deep state, the military-industrial complex, the Israeli lobby. We know where she stands on pretty much everything. She's right there with Lindsey Graham, bomb the world, and that's basically her, you know, her whole campaign shtick. Domestically, there's not much there, so that's your war candidate. Is she angling for a Trump VP spot? Would that be a backroom horse trading deal to give Donald the nod? Uh, I don't know. I'd be very wary of the whole thing if I was Trump. But then again, we'll see how it's going to pan out. Let's take a break. We're TNT, today's news talk. We'll be back with our legal correspondent from the Southern District of New York Federal Court in the Big Apple, Matthew Russell Lee from Inner City Press. On the other side, we'll talk about the ballots, Hunter Biden, Michael Cohen, and a lot more. See you in a few. Deweaponizing weather with reality and perspective. I absolutely love this quote from Alex Epstein. Green energy has two problems. It's not really green, and it's not really energy. And therein lies what we are fighting here. The fact of the matter is, this has nothing to do with climate. It has everything to do with restricting the ability of people to have inexpensive energy, and by having inexpensive energy, become more upwardly mobile. Now, hopefully this gets recognized more and more with each passing day. I know that I've been talking to some college-age kids where I live, and they say that college-age kids are becoming more and more aware of what's going on here. That certainly would be something that would be a benefit. All we ask is that people look at all the information and make a rational conclusion given what they're actually seeing and what the data actually says. There is no climate emergency we are in a climate optimum. And again, what a great quote. Green energy has two problems. It's not green 
and it's not energy. This is TNT climate and weather watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got. Internet crimes against children in New Mexico are real. And when it comes to protecting your children, the New Mexico AG's office and the ICAC unit are on the front lines. I'm New Mexico Attorney General Hector Balderas. There's nowhere to hide for online predators in New Mexico. We are working tirelessly using state-of-the-art technology and resources to seek out and find them wherever they are. Please talk to your children about the dangers that exist online, social media, games, and messenger apps. It's always important to know who you're talking to. Help fight online predators in New Mexico by submitting a tip today. Patrick Henningsen and TNT. All right, folks. All right. Welcome back. Welcome back. We're in the final stretch of the final hour of this live broadcast on this glorious Friday, TFI Fridays here at TNT. This is the last show of the year of 2023, 2024 beckons, and things are heating up on the legal front once again as we move into the election cycle. A whole lot more. Bring on Matthew Russell Lee, Inner City Press, our legal correspondent in the Big Apple with the latest everyone's buzzing about trump ballot access it's not just colorado matthew the contagion has spread what's happening what's the latest it's on. yeah no absolutely i think when last we spoke colorado had had at least at least there was judges it was a split decision by the state supreme court to say that trump as a as an insurrectionist should not be on the ballot under the 14th amendment so that people can remember this was passed after the Civil War, with the idea being that they didn't want people who had just been defeated in the Civil War, slavery proponents, to be running for office. And so they said if you had engaged in insurrection, you couldn't be on the ballot. Now, suddenly, years later, here it is. And Colorado did it, and they stayed their decision until January 4th to allow a, an appeal to the Supreme Court, which is – that's their job, actually, to to – deal with splits between states on matters like this. And then making it, I think, even more clear that the Supreme Court's going to have to act is, is Maine ruled, and it was just by the Secretary of State. This wasn't even by a court. I have in front of me her decision. She makes it appear that it's all very judicial, that she held an administrative hearing. Basically, here's what she relied on. Because many people say, wait a second, even, even some detractors of Trump say, wait a second, was he, he has, if he wasn't found guilty yet, how can you say he's an insurrectionist? We don't want him off the ballot. This Secretary of State of Maine relies on the January 6th report of the Democrats uh, in, in the House and says that this is a perfectly fine thing to rely on. This is going to be very bad going forward, not just in this election cycle, but I, I hope that uh, my hope I, I have no, you know, I'm a journalist, so I, I'm just going to observe what happens with the Supreme Court. But I think rather than just swatting these two down, they need to say, like, it's not uh, if you allow basically. You know, there will be, I believe, you know, we're going to back to talk to, about Hunter Biden. I'm not going to say that's partisan, but it falls along partisan lines. If in the future, whatever party is in control of, of the House can produce a report and it can be used by, you know, state functionaries of their same party to knock people off the ballot, basically democracy is dead. It's just turned into a joke. So I think that I, I think, you know, and you'll, you, you'll see if you see the commentary, even that's why California, I think Gavin Newsom said, like, don't knock him off a of ballot, just vote against him. And I'm not saying that maybe looks good, but that, that is the right position. I think it's we really it's really a turn 
into sort of unprecedented uh, third world, I guess, is a, is, a, is a bad term. What are we going to say? Less than democratic, a, a, a total kind of dictator world where you can just knock your opponent off the ballot. So people should expect that maybe as maybe as early as, as, as next week when we get together that the Supreme Court will have, will have ruled on this. I'm going to predict that they're going to put it back on the ballot in those states, which doesn't mean other problems might not arise or that it'll win. But the way to win is not keeping people off the ballot based on on, you know, Eric Swalwell's report. Now, let's turn to the, the not the Republican Eric Swalwell, but that's how it's perceived. There are the wheels are turning on linking Hunter, Hunter Biden's admittedly crack addled, gun toting, tax evading, diamond receiving ways with the big guy, his father, uh, Joe Biden. And this is a more. This week's development is a little more savvy than usual, I think, because they not that they've run into a wall. I think there's almost no question, I think, that Hunter Biden was throwing around Joe's name to get money. That's like it's 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 on the audio. It's in the emails. The question becomes, did Joe know? Did Joe do enough to stop it? Was Joe receiving money? That could be proved, too. This approach is even more subtle. Uh, recently in December, um, Hunter Biden was subpoenaed. He was supposed to testify to that House committee. He grants, you know, grandstanded or, you know, his he said, no, I'll only do it publicly. I won't go behind closed doors. And instead of going and, and obeying the subpoena, he did a press conference outside. Um, so we, we talked about that and that the fact that, you know, uh, very, you know, Navarro, uh, um, uh, Steve Bannon, these guys are like have been have been convicted of, of contempt of Congress. So it's interesting. We'll see whether whether. They can get the, the DOJ of Merrick Garland to go after Hunter Biden. But what the House Republicans have done this time is to say we want all communications between the White House and lawyers for Hunter about that refusal to obey a subpoena. Because you and if you think about it, now we're going down the roads of contempt. If the White House tells a private citizen you should disobey Congress, not even a, a, a president would have a right to tell his lawyer, I don't want you to testify. That happened, I think, under Nixon. But it's totally different if you can. And who knows if it's different? Again, the one thing I, I in looking at this story is I don't know. It's not that it has legs or not. It just it has legs that are like 48 percent long. You know, it's it's not it's it's become a totally partisan issue. The thing is that the Republicans do control the House. And so back again to the, the ballot question, could they produce a report? Sure, they could produce a report. They could they could whether they whether they they can impeach, whether they can not. Biden out of office? I don't think so, because you need a higher, do you know what I mean? But they can get the balls rolling and they can produce a report. And then in this election cycle, some other cycle, you're going to end up that that's what this this main decision opens up, is that anytime there is a, a seemingly partisan, maybe well-founded inquiry and report, some wacko is going to say, "Woo, I got it. <laughs> you're off the ballot. So this is the state of American democracy. It's not pretty Maybe it'll get prettier. Maybe, you know, some are, of course, you know, again, uh, Trump has a lot of issues. I was just talking to a colleague here in SDNY. He has a he has a rape, not a rape case, a defamation case with Eugene Carroll. Round two, it's coming up. And so there's a number of I think he, he, it may be the other big thing to watch. This is actually probably the more important one, um, whether the D.C. criminal prosecution uh, is put on hold pending a Supreme Court uh appeal in such a way that he's it, it doesn't come to fruition during the primaries or even the general election or as the prosecutor wants he wants it fast so he can be like in the news and get it get it done during the primary thing i i feel like the supreme court is probably not going to expedite it it is a big question 
and it's not, uh, but that hasn't been ruled on yet. So that is the one, that's a kind of, it's unclear. What one could see it, one could see, even if those Trump appointees want to say, you know, approve their, again, they're going to be on the court for like the next 30 years and they've got to live in the swamp and they've got to go to cocktail parties. And so they definitely don't want to, few have the, have the gumption to, to go uh, to the wall like Clarence Thomas and just say, I, I'm not disclosing, I'm doing what I want, or Alito. These other, the, the guys that he picked are not as, 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 as uh, you know, balls to the wall, let's say, as, as, as those are the guys that I mentioned. So I feel like, you know, if they can find a way to say, hey, well, expedited rule of law, they might. So that, that's, that's definitely one to watch. I have a theme for you, Patrick. I've thought long and hard about today's episode, and I think it's, it may be down your alley. It has it all. It has Russian oligarchs, Venezuelan narcos, South Korean cryptos. That's that's my thing. But there's a theme. What brings these together? The theme is legal imperialism. I'm going to call out the United States. The three individuals I'm naming, and they're all under under prosecution. One is a, uh, a the Russian woman Natalia Bardakova. She was indicted in a case with Oleg Deripaska. And another woman who was actually caught, but Natalia Bartakova managed to get out of the country before the indictment became public. She, nevertheless, has moved to dismiss the indictment um, from Russia. She's in Russia, but she's hired New York lawyers who are well known here. And they filed a filing saying, number one, if you're going to indict her for lying to the FBI, the case should be in California because that's where she spoke to the FBI. And apparently where Oleg Deripaska had a, a music studio and a few houses and, you know, and so... The idea is that they violated sanctions, that he was under sanction and that to 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 move his money around, they had to pretend that it wasn't his. There was also the matter of him flying in the mother of his children to sort of have birthright citizenship. He flew her flew her in on a private jet. The first one had worked and the child was born in the U.S. Second one, they said, no, you violated sanctions by taking money from Deripaksa for the flight. You can't do it. But it, here's the interesting thing. So. The government has come back this week. That's this is the the the, the hot news on it. And, and Inner City Press, I believe, was the first to cover it. They've argued that you're not allowed to move to dismiss an indictment if you're a fugitive. You can't have it both ways. You can't flee the court, thumb your nose at the court, and at the same time say, "Oh, by the way, your case is bogus." If you want to fight the case, you got to come back. And they have a, the thing is, Bartokova has a case for that. There's at least one case in the Second Circuit where a foreign this is where the imperialism, uh, a, an offshore, out-of-jurisdiction defendant was found to not be subject. But they point out that was where the person had never been in the U.S. Basically, it was one of these cases where they're like, we're going to indict Gaddafi, or we're going to indict you know, what, what, what a lot of countries in Europe do. I think it's a, that's why I'm, I'm trying to take us out of the swamp and into the, the legal you know, uh, Alps here, because it, it's a very interesting concept of like, I mean, I can totally understand somebody saying you have no right to sue anybody beyond your jurisdiction. Let's turn to the number two guy, Pablo Sorense. He's a Venezuelan narco. He's now been convicted, so I don't have to say a ledger anymore. He's a Venezuelan narco. He arranged for 6,000 kilos of cocaine to come into the United States. This seems more fair, even if, whether the guy comes to New York or not, and he did. If you're bringing drugs into the U.S., if that's the allegation, it seems like you can probably be sued and arrested and brought. And he was convicted. Um, there's one little twist here that may be too legal, Schmeagel, but... Some people said if Bartokova says the case should be in California of New York, what does it matter? It's the same law. It's just a it's you know what I mean? The venue. It's a it's a violation of lying to the FBI. It does matter because these U.S. attorneys offices are different. The case of Orense, he was investigated by the Southern District 
of Florida prosecutors that never prosecuted. And there's a piece of paper where they said, we're not doing it. So, and maybe if she moves the, which it's just interesting. I think people don't necessarily, it does matter like in terms of like shopping. And then the final one is just, and this is just crypto, crypto, crypto. This guy called Doquan, the the founder, uh, uh, you know, he, he's been arrested. Terra, Terraform was a big, Terra, the Terra coin, it was a huge, it was a big crypto thing that collapsed. And people say, I, I don't know if he was really stealing the money, but he definitely in the final stages tried to like prop it up. He's a he's in jail right now in Montenegro for 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 trying to enter or leave the country with a false document. And the US wants him extradited to the US to face criminal charges for crypto fraud. And South Korea, his home country, wants him as well. It was said recently that the, the ministry, Justice Minister of Montenegro was going to was tending towards sending him to the U.S. And I think that's a little bit weird. Like he also most of the people defrauded are in South Korea and he is South Korea. So this is where the imperialism comes in. Is it just Bigfoot? Is it just like Montenegro is more interested in relations with the United States than South Korea and Doquan is a pawn? So anyway, I'll stop. I'm, I'm sorry if I went on long, but I think it's kind of a it's a I, I don't know what your 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 view of these kind of universal it's not universal jurisdiction but it sort of is there's a there's a continuum of you know who's the biggest uh uh prosecution venue in the world and who can actually get the guys uh in the jails so this is just international lawfare you're calling it legal uh imperialism so so what about natalia uh bardakova like so what what was the main what is the main complaint against her like was she is it is it money laundering is it violation she... of sanctions aipa have you heard of aipa aipa is the international basically you know it's sanctions violations which is a crime for it's, it is for example that's what that's what virgil griffith the, the the ethereum developer who went to north korea and and gave a speech uh to them about how to use crypto he's not charged with the money launder because he never actually helped them to use crypto but he's charged with it is a it is a violation of U.S. sanctions on North Korea to go to North Korea and give that talk. Um, mm-hmm. So I think the and I and I think it is pretty clear in the case of Artikova. I, I I don't think that she respected the sanctions. I think the sanctions are are ridiculous. And so, but there's no question that there was an attempt to structure things to create shell companies, whether the sanctions should exist or not. But, but so that's the that's the charge. And I I agree. It's a bit it's a bit much to go after a why is a foreign individual required to respect u.s sanctions on on somebody from their own country but she didn't just sit in russia and say i disagree with sanctions i'm protesting sanctions she came to california and like cooked the books so that assets that had been frozen could be unfrozen so you could understand why the government doesn't like they want their sanctions to stick, right? They say this guy's subject to sanctions. I agree, it is a big. And if you were to go into the UN, as I used to be able to do, and now I do it remotely, you'll see Russia and a number of other countries, including China, denouncing what they call unilateral sanctions. They're saying, if the UN passes sanctions, it's one thing, right? The UN has a sanctions committee on Libya. They said the son of Gaddafi is a bad guy. He can't travel. You can steal his money. That's at least you managed to get 15 countries, many of whom were strong-armed, of course. To vote, whereas the U.S. And the, and the thing about U.S. sanctions, the reason, and this is where the imperialism does come in, the reason U.S. sanctions have such a uh, have, that countries that might even disagree with them will end up obeying them is because of the the ubiquity of the dollar. So that's why all of these these issues run you know run together because you if you 
if you can't use the U.S. financial system, it becomes difficult. It's a difficult yeah. thing, yeah, as, as as Russia found out with de-swifting and all. It's a very and some of that is it's not even a question of like unilateral sanctions by a country are at least imposed by a country. When SWIFT, which is a private entity, can just decide to like disconnect the whole country, it, it's not really clear where you can appeal. And so that was a big. And Russia's been trying, in a way. That's what that whole fight about the, uh, the 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 Black Sea grain deal was about. Basically, was they were saying, you know, we're willing to get back into this deal, which was fraudulent, by the way. The the, the UN was always claiming it was helping African countries. When you looked at it, most of the exports were to like Europe and China. But they said we'll go back into it if you re-swift this one Russian agricultural bank, just to set the precedent that they you can't de-swift them. And and uh, they were unable to do it. Guterres worked hard on that. See, and now we're going to turn to this. We may disagree on this. What's your view of Bianca Jagger? You wake up, I say Bianca Jagger. Mick Jagger's ex. Uh, yes. You know, I'm, I'm asking more for the human rights or the sort of foreign policy. Uh, she, uh, yeah, she was, comes what, to mind. Animal rights, or isn't she an animal rights person? I guess. Yeah, it's, well, yeah. it's 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 gotten worse. It's gotten worse, Patrick. You'll find if you're if you are a reader of the Daily Beast, which I don't want. I know the guy who covers the court for here. I don't want to put down the publication, but Bianca Jagger says that Antonio Guterres of the UN is her hero for 2023 because of his courageous stance on Gaza. And I understood. I think I even predicted it to you. My feeling of Mr. Guterres is finger in the wind. But I want to say this, and you probably disagree with me about the Uyghurs of China, but Antonio Guterres is not thought of as a human rights guy at all. In fact, he's been totally, and I think that's why he made this switch on Gaza. He was like, I'm seven years into my 10-year sinecure, the money's flowing, my critics are banned, but it's one chink in my arm. And if all I have to do is say, ceasefire, and Bianca Jagger is going to come out of, what she's a Nick. I looked into her because I was I was like, this is a joke. And then I was like, no, she's done a few, you know, she talked about Bosnia. She went around. She's from Nicaragua. But my 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 tagline is and I wrote a piece last very last night because that's when the award, the Bianca Jagger Jagger Hero of 2023 award came out uh, that she's lost her fastball, which is a baseball reference. But the Nicaragua does play, believe it or not. Maybe the Sandinistas have tried to outlaw it, but there are some Nicaraguan baseball players in the major leagues. And I just feel like. Good. It's funny that people would, would forget, like, there's, you know, and, and that's just how things work. So I, I say, no, he's not the hero of 2023. In fact, even if you were to believe in the sort of, like, human rights-y uh, grounds on which he wants to give it, four out of five dentists, and <laughs> four out of five issues, Guterres is on the wrong side, as well as being a censor, of course, you know? So there it is. I, it may, you may not, you weren't even aware of the Bianca Jagger award, but... Uh, I didn't. Uh, no, I, she's a, she's an influencer, you know, in the charity, uh, jet set charity scene and all exactly. that. So you, that's his. You that's did, his world now. You did call that Chinese world. You said you said that. Although I agree with him calling for a ceasefire and all that, but you did say that he'll be he'll he'll manage to snatch Lionized. an award. Lionized by washed up. Yeah. He was last seen partying with Sharon Stone. I told you about Oof. that when yeah. he and the journalists from the United Nations were partying at Cipriani amid Gaza. They were so deeply concerned about Gaza that uh, they were partying at, at like much money a plate. It was ridiculous. And this is actually that's a place that imposes rules against photography inside against social media. So I stood outside. OK, and I got, I interviewed some people and I caught Gutierrez sneaking in the back. It's a you had to be there. But I'm, I'm very I have to say I'm going to announce it here. 
There's an organization that myself and my friend Luis Rampoletto, before I was thrown out of the UN, we began inside the organization, the UN, the Free UN Coalition for Access, otherwise known as FUNCA. It's been reborn this week since there wasn't a lot of court action covering. It's a Twitter feed, FUNCA underscore info. It's going to cover the UN like it's never been covered before in great detail. I don't want to bore inner city press readers with all of this Bianca Jagger madness, but it's it's incredible. It's a freak show. As we speak now, there is a Security Council meeting on the last business day of the year about, uh, the, about, about the West Bank. And there's just been a, a, a pretty... A pretty heated speech by by the ambassador of Israel, and there was a speech by the Palestinian number two, and it's all going nowhere. Nothing is going to be accomplished. But there, the UAE is is leaving its its president. It, it's leaving the council at the at the end of the month in a couple of days to be replaced by Algeria as the Arab group member. So they want to go out with a blast, and 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 they're saying it. They're, Russia sneakily this week held an area formula meeting, which is a non formal Security Council meeting about Ukraine, but not about the current conflict, about Maidan, Euro Maidan and snipers. Mm. You can find the, the footage online. It was really something. They had these four experts, book writers, two of whom I think were on the U.S. sanctions list to come full circle. So the U.S. walked out of the meeting saying, we, we won't listen to people on our sanctions list. They were pretty harmless. These guys were sitting in like dark panel rooms with like, you know, with, with whole, you know, trying to promote their book. But it was really, it just, the U.N. is just theater at this point. You know, it's yeah, it is. It is. But but a lot of truth does get out in some of those, uh, especially the ARIA format meetings. I, uh, so Russia does use it to push some facts totally. out there that are not going to get any traction or WikiLeaks stuff that's not going to get any traction in the mainstream. But yeah, it's uh, so Funka Funka is this uh, Funka is Funka is back. It's it's sort of a playoff. Funka is the UN Correspondents Association. So. They were they were going so pro UN that Funka had to be created. It has a kind of a it's also like funky town. It has a lot of things to it, but it's it's rolling. I, we, let's go tech. Can you go tech? Let's go tech. Uh, yeah, we got a couple of minutes. Man. Go for it. Yeah, I will. I think I think you're going to like this one it, because there's been a development only today. Once again, breaking news. Um, Michael Cohen, the, the former personal lawyer of Donald Trump, fixer who paid off the porn star um, Stormy Daniels and then turned on Trump radically. Helped him get helped him get a knocked off the ballot in Maine. I'm sure he's going to claim credit for that one too. He was ultimately pled guilty to tax evasion and other charges. Was disbarred, served a little time in Otisville, and now he wants his supervised release removed. Right now he's under supervised release. So if he gets caught in another crime, he could be put back in jail. He has to report to probation. He doesn't like it. So he caught this lawyer called Mr. Schwartz. Mr. Schwartz wrote a letter to Judge Furman. Saying he's been a good guy, he's just just testified against Trump in the state. It was widely celebrated. Let the brother go. Only problem, he cited three cases in support of it, and the cases don't exist. Cases don't exist, and the judge realized it. The judge gave him until December 18th to explain why he cited cases that don't exist. I think we all knew that it was going to be AI. AI was the reason. This is the new thing in the legal field: is lawyers so lazy? That they don't go to Westlaw, or much less open a book. They, they, and this is, and this is where it becomes an interesting technology story. So, the lawyer, that lawyer responded, but under seal. And then Cohen did something under seal. So I did a filing to unseal, and it was unsealed today. Score one for Inner City Press, and everything was unsealed. And here's the argument: Cohen gave the cases to his lawyer Schwartz, um, but Cohen found the cases. People say on the internet, but. 
What they're saying now is that he used Bard, not Bardakova, Bard, the AI service of Google, Mm -hmm. and he thought that it was a supercharged search engine. But in fact, it's generative AI, i.e. it gives you what you want. When you say, I want to find cases to get me out of supervised release, it doesn't say, let me look at actual cases and find you some case law. It says, you want a case? I'll give you a case. U.S. versus Joe Blow, and I'll just make it up. And it's so good that you don't realize it because it has the numbers, it has the name of a judge, it has a decision, but it never existed. So this is this is. I don't know what the judge is going to do now. I'm, I've just. Re- I mean, it's it's a kind of a it's a growing it's a growing scandal of AI, Michael Cohen. But there's yet another twist to this particular tale. Very, the lawyer David Schwartz. Get ready for this. He's obviously not. I don't want to say he's not a good lawyer, but he turned he did turn in cases that his own client gave it to him off a, off AI and he filed them with the court. He's a lawyer and a lobbyist. And he's a lobbyist that until recently his partner was the very, at least in New York, famed or 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 you know maligned former Obama administration official captured on video harassing a halal truck food vendor and saying. You're you know, denouncing Muhammad, saying some really nasty stuff. It was after October 7th, so he felt, but he did it with a smirk. He didn't seem like a, a genuine. Yeah, he, like, he worked for Madeleine Albright and I, exactly. o- Obama as well. Yeah, yeah, b- b- big time yeah, staffer. that's the guy. And he worked yeah. together with this guy, Schwartz. And I looked further into it, and the group where they lobby has been working with a group called the International Association of Permanent Representatives. It's a it's a group loosely affiliated with the UN that keeps the contact information of all current, the personal contacts, cell phone, et cetera, of current and former diplomats at the UN. And my understanding is it's something of a middleman for countries and individuals' requests for favors from the New York City government in the same way that Turkey asked Eric Adams to get their mission open ahead of schools and daycare centers so all of these things run together when 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 michael cohen's lawyer lobbyist filed the fake ai it opened the doors through the halal food truck through the united nations international association of permanent representatives to the eric adams scandal and all of these three will simmer as in a halal food truck and i believe will create a banquet a banquet of surreal legal Political legal news in 2024. Wow. That's so Stuart, Stuart Seldowitz's outburst, right. not once, but twice, setting upon. He, on, he went on for like weeks. It was, yeah, so, it was just, so good that the guy filmed it. That was great. That was a, it was, it was, what an idiot. And then he was charged. He's been criminally charged with hate crimes. And so the, the lobbying firm disassociated himself with it and actually cynically, tried to turn itself around and say, we're going to provide legal representation to the halal food truck guy as if they didn't know who their guy was, but it's a whole, you you just linked this to Michael Cohen. You've just linked all all, that to Michael Cohen. That is correct. That is correct. I'm very proud. My inner city press is hitting the ground running. We, there's no, no, no story too small. When the, when the halal food truck leads through Michael Cohen, (laughs) through Michael Cohen into the mall of the United Nations and back again, You've just you know, pulled on a thread, Matthew. You've just yanked on a thread, and the whole, the whole yarn's think, coming out yeah. now. So, if I had, if, if this were actually my staircase and not the courthouse, I'd, I'd have a chart up here because this and some real strength. It's not a, these are not crazy connections. These connections are true, and they have been Matthew Russell Lee, Inner City Press. Thank you for joining us on TNT this week. Much appreciated. In-
Definitely. All of the stories are bubbling for next year. And Happy New Year. Happy New Year. We'll see you in 2024. It beckons. Behave yourself on New Year's Eve in New York City. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us here. TFI Fridays, Patrick Henson, your host, signing out. You guys, Happy New Year. I'll see you in 2024 on Tuesday. 